0: And we thank you, Lord, for the work that you're doing in our life. And that, Lord, that you are what Scripture says you are. You are the faithful one. And, Lord, our dependency is on you. And as one has said, we are desperately dependent upon you because we know unless you act, nothing can be done. So... The word tells us to ask. And the word tells us we have not because we ask not. And Lord, we just want to thank you for the privilege of approaching your throne and asking you to be the God of all comfort to this young man who's lost his father. To meet those needs that are there. And Lord, we thank you again that by faith, that Lord, we can ask you to meet all the needs for the expansion of this parking area. And Lord, by faith, we continue to ask you, O God, that you would fill every seat. By faith, O God, we're believing you to do, Lord, what we ourselves cannot do, O God. And we ask for our young people too, O God, that, Lord, that you would spend send a special anointing upon them, that you would send a revival into this place. That Lord in West Akron that we might see a revival. Not just talk about the history of a revival, but that Lord we might experience a revival. And that Lord you would do that to glorify yourself. You would do it, oh God, to lift up the name that is above every name, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That, Lord, the church is your church. And you said, O oh God, that you added to the church as you see fit. And, Lord, we want to thank you that you love your church, you care for your church, you minister to your church. And, Lord, you provide for your church. May you continue to do that. Through your people, O oh God, may you love your church. Through your people, O oh God, may you provide for your church. Through your people, O oh God, may you lift up the name of Jesus and lift him up as Lord and Savior of our lives. Lord, we thank you for the privilege. Now, oh God, we pray that you open your word to us and challenge our hearts. Because, Lord, we're still growing. We're a people, as Paul said, that he had not yet arrived. And, Lord, we have not yet arrived. We don't know it all. And in this life, Lord, most likely we'll never know it all. But Lord, help us to be a people who desire to learn, who want to learn, who want to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And more than anything else, Lord, to be a people who are a doer of your word. That our desire is not just to puff up our heads with knowledge, but to really be doers of your word. May you, O oh God, allow us to sit at the feet of Jesus and truly be taught by your Holy Spirit. Minister to us today. We know not the heartaches, we know not the troubles, we know not what all is going on in people's lives. But Lord, your word says nothing's hid from you. So may you speak. your people. In what area, whatever area of life they may be traveling through, may you speak to them. May you encourage them. May you lift them up out of the maury clay and set their feet upon a solid foundation. And we'll give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Salvation in the church, that's been our head title for some time. And we've been walking through this. And we've been talking about the fruit abiding in the vine in John 15. If you don't abide and live in Jesus, let me share something with you. You're not hurting God, you're hurting yourself. You're not robbing from God. You're robbing some richness from yourself. You're hurting yourself in so many ways when you don't abide with Jesus Christ. When you don't live in him and through him and allow him to abide with you and live with you. Your fruit is your progress and growth. That's all. The fruit that you develop in your life shows forth your progress. When you see a young tree, a young fruit tree in its first couple of years do not bear fruit. It does not bear fruit. But as that tree reaches a certain age, it begins to show its fruit. And then... You can tell when it begins to get old, too, it don't bear as much fruit. But there's something about the fruit trees, which I didn't know until we had some fruit trees on our property. We had three peach trees and an apple tree. Two of the peach trees were what they called white peaches, and they were juicy compared to the yellow peach. But the trees were starting to get old. On the outside, that peach could look pretty good. What I didn't know, down at the bottom of the tree, as the bark became weaker, worms would get into the sap, get into the tree, get into the sap, travel with the sap into the peach area. And you didn't know a worm was there until you bit into it. And then there's that little thing around the seed. you <laughs> But on the outside, you didn't see any hole. Because you kind of like inspect it, you know, you're looking for that hole. You can see where the birds have pecked at it or ants have pecked at it. But you couldn't see a wormhole per se. Because the worm traveled up through the sap into the peach as it was growing. Sometimes worms get into our lives and they travel and they cause our fruit to rotten that were basically useless. Your fruit identifies, in a sense, your growth. Knowledge doesn't mean growth. Now, you have to have knowledge to grow. But knowledge in and of itself doesn't do nothing but just swell our heads. That's all. But knowledge that is applied... To our life, and we practice it and we live it, demonstrates our growth and the fruit that's developing in our lives. A lot of people have knowledge, but they have no growth because they're not applying the knowledge that they have. It's like a man having five or ten thousand dollars in the bank and have a rent due that's three hundred dollars but won't go to the bank and get the three hundred dollars to pay his rent but want somebody else to pay the rent for him. It's not that he doesn't have it. He just won't use it. And a lot of people have knowledge but they won't use it to apply to their lives. Have you ever saw this person got all kind of knowledge and they want to apply it to your life but you don't see it being practiced where at? In their own life. Now we got a lot of folks that can tell you what to do but when you look into their life why aren't you following what you're telling me to do? And James says don't only be a hearer of the word you're just gathering knowledge of the word. But then you're not doing the word, Well, you're practicing it, you're living it, because that's where the fruit's going to come from. And John fifteen says, "It is the Father's will that we bear much fruit." Now this is important. This last little phrase here, if you turn to, because it's it's, it's important to catch this. He says, "This is to my Father's glory." That you bear much fruit. Now catch what he's saying. Showing yourself to be my what? Disciples. As you bear fruit. As your life is transforming. As things are taking place in your life. You are demonstrating. That you are. The disciple of Jesus Christ. And every disciple has a master. Every disciple has a journeyman or someone who's doing the teaching. And what it is demonstrating to a world is this. You are under the teaching of Jesus Christ. You're being discipled by the Holy Spirit in the things of the Lord as you bear fruit. And that's to the glory of God of the work that he has done. And we are benefactors of it. And it says, boy, that fruit shows that you really are a disciple of Christ. Not abiding brings about serious consequences. And it hurts us when we don't abide in the Lord. People say, I get tired of going to church. I get tired of being in a Bible study. I get tired of being in prayer meeting. I get tired of being there. You don't get tired of eating. You don't get tired of running after the latest fashions. You don't get tired of making more money. You don't get tired of going out shopping. It seems like the only thing we get tired about is the things of the Lord. Satan has deceived us well. Because I can come up with 10,000 excuses why I shouldn't go to church at this point in time. And most of us are good if we get three hours a week or four hours a week at church. But we have no problem putting 60 hours in at a job because we're looking for Friday. Well, your Friday is quickly coming Because when death comes, you will receive your paycheck. <laughs> and, and the whole process, there are those consequences when we don't abide. What happens to us? And I'll mention in John 15 here, there's a loss of fellowship. When we don't abide in the Lord, there's a loss of fellowship. One, with the husband with the gardener, the father. There's a loss of fellowship with Jesus Christ. There's a loss of fellowship with the Holy Spirit. There's a loss of fellowship with fellow believers. What you need to watch sometime is this here. Your Christian life begins to wither Why? Because I've withdrawn from the church. I've withdrawn from the body of Christ. I've withdrawn from other believers. And and somehow Satan tricks us that we can make it out here on our own. And you can't make it on your own. But yet, a lot of Christians believe they can, that they can make it all by themselves. And that's a big lie. Oh, you're still a Christian, but you're not thriving, you're not growing, you're not expanding. Why? You're not having anything to help sharpen you. You're not having anything to help build you. You're not having anything to help edify you. You're You're not having anything around you that really cares for you and loves you. See, people who love you will tell you about your dirty laundry. People who really love you will tell you your pants are too low. People who really love you will tell you your slip is hanging People that really love you, boy, when they see something wrong on the outside, they share it with you. They don't broadcast it, they share it with you. Catch the difference? And the reality is this here. When you don't have that, You lose vitality. You lose Christian energy. You lose your going and wanting to go, your Bible study and wanting to be in Bible study. You lose your prayer effort. You're not really praying. Oh, you're asking God for what your needs are. But you're not really interacting and interceding for others. You're not really praying to the Lord. You're not telling him how wonderful he is and how great he is. Why? You're not experiencing that. You're experiencing the lows, not the highs. And he says, boy, what did he take those branches and do? Burn them up. And I'm back to what one author says. Those are the fiery darks of Satan. Because when you start to wither, yes, you have no protection around you per se. You've separated yourself. And Satan's fiery darks come in at you. It costs us when we don't abide in the Lord. Now, abiding with Jesus keeps us thinking right. That's the key point. When you keep your mind on Jesus, you'll think right. When you keep your mind on Jesus, you'll do right. The whole process is having your mind on him and what he's taught and what he's said and what he's revealed to you. That you keep your mind on him. And that's why Philippians said that you should have what? The mind of who? The mind of Christ. That you're stuck with him. Bearing fruit. Says what the relationship really means to you. Bearing fruit says what the relationship really means to you. If it's valuable or not. To some people, Jesus Christ really has no value. Oh, I, I've heard all the stuff. Okay, I'm saved. So what now? But he has no real meaning. In a friendship, there there becomes a meaning that two people begin to work together for certain goals certain things and they begin to help each other they begin to help each other achieve things they begin to complement each other they begin to encourage each other they are building up each other the fruit identifies if the relationship between you and Jesus, have any depth or real meaning or value to you. To you. That is not just a one-way street. It's not just what Jesus is doing for you, but it's also what you're doing for the kingdom of Jesus. It's a two-way street. How many of you have friendships that are only a one-way street? You're going to go visit all the time. They never come see who. It's just a one-way street. And most time we want a what? A two-way street. I'm visiting you. You're visiting me. You're asking me over for coffee. I'm asking you out for coffee or lunch. Or I'll say, hey, come on by, man. We can watch the game together. We can do. You want the two-way street. Jesus wants the two-way street. Not the one way, but the two-way. And bearing fruit says what that relationship really means to us and what it's really like. Are you enjoying it? Are you sensing a blessing from it? Do you really love the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you really want to hang out with him? Do you really want to be with him? Oh. A lot of friends we have, we have them just because we like what they give us, but we don't really like who? We like what we can get from them, but we don't like them. And we can apply that to Jesus. We like what we get from Jesus, but we really don't like the lifestyle of Jesus. (laughs) Don't want to hang out with that guy. He isn't cool. He don't really understand what's going on down here on earth. So I don't really want to hang out with him too much. Because if I hang out with him too much, people will take advantage of me. If I hang out with him too much, I'm not cool, I'm not hip, I'm not with it. If I hang out with him too much, I'm weak and I'm not strong. If I hang out with him too much, I may not cuss no more. And people may think, boy, they can cuss at me and I won't say a thing back to them. If I hang out with him too much, people might think, I'll turn that other cheek. If I hang out with him too much, boy, what would people really think about me if I hang out with Jesus too much? Now, Bearing fruit of a godly sort. It's not easy for you and I. And the reason it's not easy is that old nature. Is that old nature is still fighting with us. And it goes against who we are as human beings. Every one of us in this room wanted our way. That's why a lot of the commercials would tell you, yeah, they give you what you want. We'll make it your way. You know? Oh, you deserve it. Come and get it. And the whole process is that, boy, we want Christianity our way, on our conditions, on our time. We don't want Jesus telling us what to do, but we want to tell him what? What to do. We want to reverse that thing. Because it goes against our nature to bow down and submit to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because every one of us want to be king of our own lives. Every one of us want to be master of our own life. Every one of us want to come and go when we want to come and go. Every one of us want to give as we want to give, not as he directs us to give. Every one of us want to do this life the way we want to do it, not his way. And that old nature fights. Go to Galatians 5, and go to verse 17 with me here. Because he makes it also easy that there's something going on that you and I need to recognize that may hinder this fruit from really developing. He He says, For the sinful nature desires what is contrary. Our sinful nature is always contrary to the things of God. Our sinful nature doesn't desire the things of God. It desires the things of the flesh and what relaxes the flesh, what brings pleasure to the flesh. Our sinful nature says, this is what I want to do. Now you do it. Boy, when Charles called the other day, talking about where are you supposed to be, I had my pajamas on in the bed, and I didn't forget. Elaine said, "You don't know what time it is." It was it was good in that bed, but had to rush, get up, take pajamas off, get dressed, run down, you know. We can get so comfortable in this world, we forget about ministry. We forget about the things of God. But what we forget is this, who made it comfortable for us. We forget who has blessed us. Roscoe and I was walking out after being downstairs with the men and just observing. And we were walking out And I made the statement, it's only by the grace of God that I'm not one of them. And Roscoe said, I was thinking the same thing, Pastor. It's only by the grace of God that I'm not in that position. It's only by God's mercy I'm not in that position. It's only by the work of God in my life I'm not in that position. And sometimes we don't think about that. That the only thing that is the difference between me and somebody else is the grace of God that has been bestowed upon me. That's all. And again, he simply says, boy, straighten these eyes out. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit. And the spirit, what is contrary to the sinful nature. Now listen to what it says here. They are in conflict with each other. That that old nature and that new nature, what is it doing inside of you? It's warring. And oftentimes we call it the conscience. Have you ever tried to talk yourself into something? Or talk yourself out of doing something? That's that battle going on inside. Now let me share something with you. If you're not battling with something, you're not trying to give birth to any fruit. Because in that battle, if the victory comes, you're going to be a fruit. But it's in that conflict, it's in that battle that brings forth fruit or bring forth a different life, a different attitude, a different way of thinking because the battle goes on up here, in here. That battle between that old and that new, they're fighting with each other. And you're the one then who has to decide this way or that way. The old way or the new way. And that battle is real sometimes. Now, in Ephesians 5, 8, 9, he says, just follow with me. Just go over to Ephesians before we hit to the book of Colossians, Ephesians 5, 8 through 10. He simply says, For you were once darkness. This is where you once were. Paul's just reminded this is where you once were. Now that doesn't mean you can't get back into darkness. But Paul says, this is where you once were. He says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light. In the Lord. Live as the children of light. Now, here comes the encouragement. Boy, I'm looking at your life. You're not living the way you should live, but live as children of the light. And he's talking to Christians. Live as children of the light. Sometimes we get stuck in our old life. And we get stuck in our own reasoning. We get stuck in our own rationale. We get stuck there. And he says, turn the light on that you can have wisdom and understanding that is not of the flesh, but from the Lord. He says, if any man lacks wisdom, do what? Ask the Lord. Ask the Lord. But sometimes our pride keeps us from what? Lord, I don't understand this. Lord, I'm missing something. Lord, would you reveal it? Lord, would you put it together? Lord, would you give me understanding of it? Lord, would you order my steps through this? Lord, would you give me the faith to walk through it, trusting you even though I don't fully understand the outcome of this thing? And that's where you then begin to lean on the Lord rather than on your own understanding. in all your ways, now you're doing what? You're acknowledging Him. And He says He'll direct your what? Your path. God nowhere in Scripture tells you to figure it out. (laughs) But to trust Him. To trust Him. And you have understanding of something when He gives you understanding. When He turns the light on there for you. And He he says to them, "Hoy, live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists of goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Now, what is the thing that Satan has so corrupted today that, that causes you and I problems? One is that we can't really define what goodness is. We can't define that today, high, Because Satan has so mixed it up. You can't tell me drugs are good, but somebody would tell you, man, that's good for me, man. You don't know how that makes me feel, man. Can't tell me alcohol is really good for you, and you don't know what you're doing and stumbling all over the place. Man, I need a drink. It's good for me. may not be good for you, but it's good for me. And what Satan has distorted is this whole thing of goodness. I have a good wife. I have a good woman. Why do I need anything else? And the only thing that leads you to go after something else is that you think is better than what you already have. Why does one girlfriend and one boyfriend quit another because they think they got something better than what they already have? And it's hard for us to describe what is goodness today because Satan's gotten into the mix of it. Then it's hard for us to say what is righteousness. You know, even with our president, it's hard for a nation today to identify what is a lie, what is right. We're more confused. And just about every nation that you see is having inward struggle and fighting because they cannot determine what is right or the righteousness. Families are tore up because children are arguing with parents about what is right and parents are arguing with children about what is right because they cannot agree on what is what? Right. I should be able to do this. No, you can't do that. I'm grown. I should be able to come and go when I want to do or pick and choose and do this and do that. What are they arguing about? What's right. And we're confused over what is right. Men are confused about it. Because the issue is not what's right about the man. The issue is about, is it right for my family? Something can be right for me, but totally wrong for Elaine. Something can be a blessing to me and a curse to her. I could drive up with a new car saying, Boy, oh, the Lord bless me. And Elaine, said, I ain't got my carpet yet. I ain't got this yet. I ain't got that yet. You just took it away from me. What is right? What is the right action? And then truth. What did Paul say? What is what? What is truth? We're seeing that in the newspaper and news today. What is truth? Because people cannot identify what is truth. So we got so many different theories. We got so many different thoughts. We got so many different things out here. Because everybody today is carrying their own truth. Arguing about their own truth. What is truth to them may not be truth for who? For you, and Satan has distorted those things. So when you get into that verse 10, he says, this is what you want to discover. And this is so important. He he says, and find out. Now when he says find out, you got to go searching. You got to go looking. You got to seek for it. You got to teach yourself about this. You find out what pleases the Lord. You find out what pleases the Lord. You find out. See Elaine, we were supposed to go off this week, but when I found out the hotel bill was going to be 265, I said, no, we can't go there. So her next thing was, let's go up to the Pancake house. And she was all thrilled and excited. Well, I was excited for her, but not about pancake house. You know, yeah, I'm just getting some pancakes and some eggs for forty dollars. Amen. But she enjoyed it, so it, it was worth it. Hey, hey, I better not say that too often because the Lord knows my heart. But the whole, <laughs> the whole process, she enjoyed it. She said, "I got what I wanted." You know. I'm saying I could have cooked you some eggs and pancakes, you know, but the the whole process is this here find out what pleases God when I find out what pleases her and do that, she's as happy as she can be and when she's happy it makes life easier for me you know know. it makes life much more enjoyable for me and sometimes I'm fighting against myself because I'm not trying to do what? Do the things that please her. So the scripture says, Find out what pleases God. And when you find out what pleases God, you do the good things. When you find out what pleases God, you do the right thing. When you find out what pleases God, you will know the truth. Because those things please God. And when you please God, you're bearing fruit. Why? It says that it pleased God that you would have what? A large crop. Much more. Now, this whole process, he says, be imitators of God. Yeah, that's part of the fruitfulness. That we be imitators of God. Deuteronomy one says, imitate God. Somebody say, I can't do that. Yes, you can. Because Scripture says that you can. But this is what you have to be willing to do. Ephesians 4.22. And he, he tells you what you need to do. 4.22. Where art thou? He says, you were taught with regard of your former way of life. That's the first thing that has to happen. You have to be taught that your former way of life was not pleasing to who? To God. A lot of people say, huh, if God got to accept me just the way I am. Well, we say it, come as you are. But as you come, God is saying you won't stay as you are. If you really come to me, you will not stay the way you are, but I ask you to come the way you are because that's the best you can do, but we're going to work on you, and there's some changes that are going to take place. There's some transformation in your life that's going to take place. And he simply says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self. Now, what does that mean? Put off your old self. That means you just can't go around shooting folks. In my young days, I would fight you, and, and, and yeah, i shoot you in a minute. See? As the young folks said, i liked light you up. See? But that's that old foolish life. See? And the whole process is the thing that you did. And how you lived. He says, you got to put that off now. Why? You're living over here. For some people, you take them and put them in a $300,000 home. With grass all out in front. Nice backyard. Backyards give them six months and other people will be saying where them folks come from? They got two cars parked in the grass the yard all tore up got ditches out there backyard all messed up all weeded don't know how to cut the grass haven't fertilized it and my Lord don't step on the inside woo ain't no telling which else may have come into the neighborhood. Because, see, just because I take you from one place and put you into something else that you're not quite ready for, because I haven't educated you over what it takes to live here, you're accustomed where you live because you're living among people who live that way. And that's been life for you. If you grow up with cussing in the house all the time, and that's the normal language, guess how you're going to speak? If you grow up with yelling in the house, guess what you're going to do? My kids will tell you today, only one person was allowed to yell in my house. That was me. And and I don't want to yell twice that's a breath I'm wasting, I shouldn't have to waste. The whole process is that just because I put you in something new doesn't mean you haven't carried old habits with you into something new. And that happens in Christianity. We've got all these bags of old habits. After I'm saved, I'm carrying along with me into this new life. And I wonder why I'm struggling. I wonder why I'm fighting. I'm wondering why this is taking place. Because I'm trying to live in something new and different with all this old stuff. That don't work over there. And he says, put off your old self. That you need to do. Why? Because it's corrupted by its deceitful desires. Your old nature has desires. Your old nature knows what it wants. And is not giving up easy. I understand what scripture says. Crucify yourself. Yes, you are dead. But that old nature in every one of us is still alive and we know it. You let somebody rub you the wrong way and it will identify itself real quick. And he says, corrupted by its deceitful desires. Not as desires for God. It's desires of itself. To do what pleases the flesh. To do what pleases Satan. Not the Lord. And then it goes on and says, put on the new self. Now here comes what he says, imitate God. He says, put on the new self, created to be like who? Like God. If you put it on, And you bear the fruit. You're going to look like God. You're going to look like God. You're going to act like God. You're going to talk like God. You're going to give wisdom to other people like God. Why? Because God has created you to be in his image. Without being born again, you're in the image of your father called Satan. But when you accept the Lord Jesus Christ, you begin to take on that image of Christ, that you might be pleasing to the Father. And then, He says, "There's two essentials I want you to really think about. Give me five more minutes, and I want ten, hopefully." In, in Colossians, here's these two things that has to take place. For everything else to take place. If you check yourself and examine yourself as we look at a couple of these scriptures, you'll know whether or not you're bearing fruit. Because the bearing of your fruit is going to be based on these two things of yourself. And these two things have not happened in your own life. Yeah, you're saved, but you're not bearing any fruit. You're the one who's just saved by fire. Have no rewards. You're the one who is not running after any crowns. You're the one who could care less if you really please God or not. You're the one... As we talked about earlier, yeah, I'm saved, but I don't really care a lot for this relationship. See, one of the ways that a man should show to his wife that he's really invested in this relationship and cares about this relationship, from work to home, he's from work to where? Home. Work to home. I don't have to stop by the bar, spend two hours with the friends. I don't have to stop and play basketball for two, three hours every night. I don't have to go over and meet my best friend. Is when you invest your time at home. You show that you are really interested in this relationship. You show that you really bought into the relationship. You really care about the relationship when nothing else really interferes with it. These two essentials are very important. Colossians uh, 3, 1 and 2. The heart and the mind. If Jesus doesn't really get your heart, there's not going to be any fruit. You're the one who has to surrender your heart. That old song is an all on the altar, a sacrifice. Have you put your heart on the altar of God? Have you put everything about yourself on the altar of God? Have you said to yourself, my life, Lord, rests in your hands? My life rests in your hands. That's the heart. That's the heart. It's the heart when you realize you can do nothing without Christ. And Paul admits that. I can do nothing without Christ. But I can do all things with Christ. It's the heart thing. And then it's the mind thing. Is your mind stayed on Jesus? Now, in the NIV, it both uses the word set. King James, I think, used the word seek. The word set, the first word set, is that area where you are seeking. That you are seeking heavenly things. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart or or allow your heart to seek those things that are what? Are above. How many of you really have a heart after seeking the kingdom of Jesus Christ? You really have a heart that seeks after the things of God. You can tell that by this. As you mature in Christ, you begin to understand this simple principle. He is responsible for me. When I understand that God is responsible for me, that sets me free of seeking about everything for me. And it gives me the freedom to seek the heavenly things that he wants me to be involved in and to do. But as long as I'm seeking for my own comfort, seeking for my own care, seeking for my own provision, seeking how I'm going to make it, the things of God have no interest. But when I know God is responsible for me, I can say whatever I'm going through at this time because he's responsible for me, it's my learning time. And God has something that he's going to work out in my life that is needful for me. Why? He's responsible for me. Therefore, my eyes stay on ministry. My eyes stay on him. And he tells me in due time, he will do what? He'll lift me up. He'll raise me up. He'll provide, and He does provide. And it's the heart and the mind. In Matthew 6, 21, where your treasure is, what? So will be your heart. But if your treasure there, if what else is there? The mind. The mind. Where your treasure is, there is where your mind is at. And you're stuck there. But if your treasure is Jesus Christ, your mind is stuck there. Your heart is there. Everything about you is there. Now, in Philippians 3, say five minutes or so. In Philippians 3, turn over verses 17 through 20. He says, Join with others in following my example, brothers. And take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. So in Christianity, there is a what? There's a pattern of life. And you have to discover that pattern. Every organization has a certain pattern in the way it functions and so forth. You may have worked over here, but when you go to work over here with a different organization, it has a pattern of how it functions, how it does things. This one over here had its way of doing things. They both have a certain pattern. When you come into being a Christian, there's a certain pattern that God has for us. How we're going to live. How we're going to talk. How we're going to interact. How we're going to be husbands and wives. How we're going to be the children of God. He has this pattern. And And he tells us there. Follow the example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. For as I have often told you before, and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross. Now, you can be saved, but your life is, you're living it like a what? An enemy towards everything that God stands for you're against everything that God wants to develop in your life you're against what God wants to do with you he's the powder we're the clay cannot he fashion us according to his own perfect will but what we wind up doing I don't like this God Don't do that in my life, Lord. Lord, I want you to do this. Lord, I want you to do that. And what we forget is who he is. Of who he is. And he goes on down. He says, Their destiny is destruction. Your fruitless. Their God is their stomach. And their glory is their shame. Why? Look what he says here. Their mind is on what? When your mind is on earthly things, you're no good to God. You go into work, and you allow your mind to be on something else other than work. That's a non-productive day for that company. If you go into work, You're not going to give your best because your mind and your heart is not in it. And when you serve the Lord and you come with a mind and a heart that's not after Him, you're only going to give God the worst part of yourself, not the best part. And what God is after is the best of you. God wants the very best of you. He don't want the leftovers. God don't want to hear you. You're too tired to talk with me. You're too tired to study my word. You're too tired to pray. You're too tired to care about somebody else. You're too tired to work for me. But you can go out here and work for the world all day long. But if I ask you to take 20 minutes and go visit somebody sick, I'm too tired, Lord. Lord. If I ask you just to say a kind word to somebody and get the frown off your face and put a smile on your face, Lord, you don't know what I went through today. We give God all kind of excuses of why we can't bear fruit in our lives. And he tells us the reason we can't do it is because our heart and mind is only on earthly things. very quickly we're going to run through this chapter 3 if I can move on for Sunday but I want you to just take note of a couple of things in that verse 3 it says you've died that's what should be but the reality is that hasn't sometimes happened to us that we've died to ourselves Paul says it in this way For me to live is Christ. And to die is the gain. For me to live is Christ. And what he did, he hid himself in Christ. So he says, in verse 3, he says, Put to death, is that verse 5? Get these glasses right. Yeah, verse 5. He says in verse 3, For you died, and your life is now hid with Christ in God. So that everything about you should be about who? God. For you are what? Dead. But we care more about ourselves sometimes than we do about God. Now I'm going to talk about Gus Brown. God got to measure me too. Am I giving God just a quarter part of my life? Am I giving God only a half of my life? Am I lying God only have three quarters of my life? Or does God have 100% of my life? Does God possess everything that Gus Brown possesses? And it's under his control. His mind, his heart, his thoughts, his dreams, his desires. Is God in control of all it? he says when you get in verse 5 let's stop there because I want to hit 5 through 20 because now it begins to tell us to do something he gets very specific about things that keep us from developing fruit because now God says, I pruned you. I've cut you. I've done all of this. You remember one of the things the Lord said about the fig tree before He cursed it? He says, I've come by you for three years and you have not bore fruit. (laughs) And He cursed it, cut it down. There's a time part, I think, for a lot of Christians that cut their own life short. Because their lives are totally fruitless. Man. And and God says, put this off. And we're going to look next week. What are the, some of the things that God says to put off? Why? Because they keep us from bearing the fruit that he wants us to bear. And that's why he tells us to put these things off. Why? They're destructive to us. They're dangerous to us. Oftentimes we see them as pleasure. We see them as fun. We see them as delightful. We see them as something over. Oh I want this. I just got to have it not knowing how destructive it is to you. Let's pray. Father,